core value number five says that completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. You are going to love the story of Sophie Lichtenfels. That was her actual name, but nearly everyone knew her as simply Sophie the Scrub Woman. Now, you probably need to know that the first group of people to gather around A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, was very diverse, both economically and ethnically. One of the reasons he had resigned as the pastor of the 13th Street Presbyterian Church was because he felt called to evangelize the new immigrants pouring into the city. And that made the leadership of the 13th Street Church very uneasy. Sophie was one of those immigrants. She was from Germany, and she was a worker who made her living by scrubbing floors. Sophie's accent was very thick, and her mannerisms were by society standards pretty coarse. But her heart was for the Lord, and she wanted to do anything she could to serve the King and win others to Christ. There's actually a very old tract in existence entitled Sophie's Sermon, or called to scrub and preach. So Sophie scrubbed floors and she talked to people about Jesus. At one point in her 50s, she tried to volunteer to go to the mission field herself, but was disappointed when she was told that she was beyond the age limit to be sent. She later said that the Lord appeared to her and said, Sophie, who is your next door neighbor? A family of Switzers, she replied. And in the rear of her building, there were Italians and Chinese. The Lord showed Sophie that she could be a foreign missionary right at home. Now, scrub woman didn't make a lot of money. In all probability, not even enough to comfortably survive. But Sophie took on extra work, and she lived very frugally. And whenever there was a special offering for missions, Sophie the scrub woman would lead the parade of people forward to place their gifts on the altar. And she deposited her sack of savings with a solid thud and a hearty praise the Lord. Sophie was only one person, but there were many others. They started rescue missions. Some of them still exist. They opened healing homes for sick people. They ministered to prostitutes and started outreaches to visiting sailors. In short, the people in that early group did nearly everything you could imagine, not only to send missionaries to the ends of the earth, but to be missionaries to those who lived nearby. They understood that the completion of the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. Alliance core value number five says this. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. Uh, the story of, of Sophie the scrub, scrub Woman, the one you just saw, always challenges me because I, I always need to remember the truth that drove Sophie to do what she did, and that's simply this. We Christians have been wonderfully saved by God himself. Saved by grace. Saved through our faith, not by our works. Saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Saved by Christ alone. His blood given freely for our forgiveness and for new life. We have been saved wonderfully by God. But we have not been saved to stand still. The moment someone becomes a Christian, that very moment that person is immediately given a new mission in life and is made part of a community that shares that mission. The mission was given to us by Jesus himself, not just once, but at least four times in the Gospels and in Acts. We call it the Great Commission. It is Christ's command to bring the saving gospel of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection to every single people group on this planet because Jesus died 
for all of them. And core value number five of the CMA says this, that if we are going to accomplish this task, that all of us need to be involved. The task cannot be left to the missionaries or to the church leaders or to the super spiritual saints. We all have a contribution to make. We all have the same call. Every believer, every fully devoted disciple is told, instructed, commanded by Jesus to be part of this great commission to reach the world for him. Now, to explore this, this core value, I want to go way back to an Old Testament passage, and today I want to look at another person who was called and given a mission. This is a person that you have a lot more in common with than you think you do. Um, so let's go back to Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read you kind of an extended passage here that describes the call of a guy named Moses. You've heard of him. Moses, Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the impression with which the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Skip down just to save time to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Skip down to verse 20. 
So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. I'm going to keep it very straightforward with you this morning. I want to, to, to make it easy to follow. I want to look first at Moses' predicament here, then at God's power, and finally at our opportunity. Okay? Moses' predicament, and then God's power, and then our opportunity. I could not think of another P word to do the last part. I'm sure David Jeremiah would have thought of one, but I, I couldn't. Um, so we'll, we'll first, let's look at, at Moses's, Moses's predicament. What is Moses' situation in life when he receives this visit from God? Well, let's put it delicately here, okay? Moses was past his prime. Okay? Moses was old. I love, and you probably love too if you've seen it, that, that animated movie, The Prince of Egypt, you know, where Val Kilmer is, is, is the voice of Moses and everything, and, 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 they, and they, you know, it's the, the DreamWorks film. Moses did not look like that. Not, not, in the real, not in real life. Exodus 7 tells us that Moses was 80 years old. And yes, some people back then did live a little bit longer than they do today, but this was not the age of like Methuselah when people lived to be 900, 800 years old. No, and 80 was not you know, the new 30 or the old 20 or whatever it would. No, most of Moses' life was actually behind him at this point. And I'm sure his assumption was that the exciting and adventuresome and not to mention the useful parts of his life were all in the past. He was done. He was just marking time, waiting to die, figuring that God had put him on the shelf. You see, Moses, Moses could look back to a time in his life many years ago when he could have made a difference for God. But when he got the chance... He had made a mess of it. See, Moses had grown up, as most of you know, in the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He had been being groomed for a, a high leadership position in what was at that time the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And at the same time, and Moses knew this, at the same time that he had that kind of influence, he was also uniquely positioned to help his people. He knew that ethnically he was a Hebrew. And he knew that he could help his people, the Israelites, because they were enslaved in Egypt. But when, when he when he when he took a risk, when he, when he tried to make a stand for the Israelites by killing an Egyptian who was viciously beating a Hebrew slave, all he got for his trouble was a death sentence from Pharaoh and rejection from his own people. So his life being in danger, he ran away to the desert of Midian. He got married, had kids, took a simple job from his father-in-law as a shepherd where he could spend the rest of his days in peace, marking time and maybe wondering what could have been. That was Moses. Moses' past was nothing but a big missed opportunity. His future didn't seem to hold a, lot of promise. It seemed to hold a whole lot of promise. He was, he was old, he was disillusioned, and he was spent. At least that's what he thought. So, well, let me have pause for a second. Is it possible that anybody here has anything in common with this particular Moses? Do, you, do any of you feel the pain and the regret of a missed opportunity in life? Maybe you have a sense that your best days are behind you and that God has put you on the shelf. Or, or maybe you've got a desire to serve him and to be part of this great mission that Jesus talks about. But maybe in the position you're in now, you just don't see how you could make any difference. You just don't see a path forward to be that kind of person and to do that kind of stuff. 
I wonder what God thinks about that. Let's see, let's see what he says to Moses. And by the way, I know that what you're going to say. Moses is a special case. There's only one Moses. I'm not Moses. Okay, I, I understand you're not Moses. I'm not either. But because that's a valid argument, let's just not focus on Moses now. Let's focus on God instead, okay? Because God, as we heard this morning in a couple of the different songs we sang, doesn't change. God doesn't change. So it's a different mission today. It's a different time. But if the God who calls us to reach the nations for Jesus is the same God that called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, then maybe there's something here for us, right? So let's, let's look at, now that we've looked at the predicament of Moses, let's look at the power of God. Moses finds himself here talking to a bush, which is weird enough, but this is no ordinary bush. This bush is on fire, and yet it's not being consumed by the fire. And as God speaks to Moses out of this bush, he also tells Moses his name. And in this whole series of events and in what God says, there is some very powerful truth being communicated to Moses and to us. In, in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. <clears throat> the sentence could also be translated, I will be who I will be. <clears throat> or I am who I will be. Or I will be who I am. They're all valid translations of that phrase. The ambiguity of the tense here reminds us of something. It reminds us that our God is timeless. Amen. He exists outside of time. He doesn't change with time. God is never becoming anything. God is never evolving into anything. He always is. He's always present, not just in the physical, geographical sense of present, but in the temporal time sense of present. It's always present to God. He's always present. He's always here. He's always there, not just in space, but in time as well. And don't forget, when Moses hears this name, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, he's also staring at a scene in which a bush is not being consumed by the fire, which means to Moses it looks like time has stopped. For an 80-year-old man who feels spent and disillusioned and, and whose biggest obstacles have to do with time, time lost, time wasted, time spent, time gone by, no time left to change, this is a powerful message for him and for us. God is not limited by how we think about time. He's not limited by our age. There is nothing no such thing as being too old or too young to serve God. He is not captive to the mistakes of your past. He is not intimidated by your fears of your future. He will give you all the time you need to do all he calls you to do. In fact, he can even make up for lost time. As he famously tells his people through the prophet Joel, I always love this, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Have some of your years been wasted? I mean, from your perspective? Moses probably thought that the last 40 years he was sitting there or standing there looking at those sheep were wasted. But all that is irrelevant to the God of eternity. Moses was going to have just as much time as he needed to do whatever God was going to call him to do. But not just time. Moses needs more than time, right? He's going to need some other resources as well. He seems to have been a pretty spry 80-year-old, you know, as 80-year-olds go. But 80 is still 80. Moses needed energy. Moses needed vitality. You could say Moses needed his life back, right? And looking at this bush, 
how it, it wasn't consumed, even though it continued to burn and burn and burn, would have given Moses some, some other very important information about God. God is the only being in existence who can be said to be self-existent. Now, that sounds kind of fancy, but it basically just means that God is not dependent on anything or anyone else for his being. He needs no help. He needs no nourishment. He needs no resources because he doesn't use any up. He is infinitely powerful and infinitely efficient. He needs no fuel, which is why the bush is not burning up. It's just burning. Now, a God like that is able to provide whatever resources we need for whatever he asks us to do, don't you think? In fact, a God God like that can even give you your life back. This is the angel of the Lord speaking out of the bush to Moses. Very often when you see the angel of the Lord referred to in the Old Testament and then the same angel of the Lord basically calls himself God, what you're really looking at is a pre-incarnate representation of the Lord Jesus Christ who once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die, Jesus said. A God who can give us our life back by saving us from death and giving us eternal life is certainly able to give us our life back in the here and now as well. Not only the time that we need to accomplish all the things he might call us to do, but also the energy and the ability and whatever resources are necessary to accomplish the task. Now, this does not mean that Moses is out of excuses, because he's got lots of excuses. Moses is like us that way. If there's an excuse, he will find it, just like we will. And at the beginning of chapter 4, Moses comes out with a, with a new one. And, and here's where I want to transition to talking about our opportunity. Moses asks God, actually, Moses doesn't ask God. Moses kind of complains and tells God this. He says, the Israelites won't believe me. Why in the world would they believe me when I say, hey, I've been talking to God? And that's when God hits them with a zinger that is just as applicable to you and me today as it was to Moses back then. The question that God asks Moses at the beginning of chapter 4 is as practical and down-to-earth as it gets, and at the same time, it is incredibly profound and powerful. Here's what God asks Moses. Hey, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? Well, Moses looks, and in his case, it's just a shepherd's staff. So it's basically one of the tools of his trade. He holds it in his hand every single day. It's probably just the branch of a dead almond tree. It's used for guiding sheep around and keeping them in line. Moses never thought it was anything special. God says, throw it on the ground. He does. It turns into a snake. And I love that Moses runs away from the snake. Did you catch that? He runs. It reminds me that Moses is just an ordinary guy with ordinary fears and ordinary limitations. It also reminds us that when God tells him to grab the snake by the tail, he's calling for an exercise in faith because whatever kind of snake this, this staff turned into, it wasn't like a common garden snake or a harmless little black snake. It was something else. Moses has to decide at this point whether he trusts God or not. And he does. And because Moses is willing to trust God, this staff that he has always used for very common, mundane purposes, ends up doing some very uncommon things in the next few years. You see, shepherd staffs are not typically used to turn rivers into blood or to draw water from a rock or to part 
large bodies of water. What made this staff so powerful? What made this staff so much powerful than every other staff that had ever been? Well, that's why I made us read that last verse, verse 20 of chapter 4, because that's where the staff gets a new name. Did you notice? So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God. That's what made all the difference. When the staff that belonged to Moses became the staff that belonged to God. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple of Jesus. That means if we're going to reach the world for Christ, every one of us in this room who knows Christ has a part to play. And I believe a piece of this, not all of it, but a big piece of this, is that God is asking everyone here the same question that he asked Moses, namely this one, what's in your hand? What is in your hand? What are the common, everyday things that you do, the resources that you use that can become God's resources and ultimately can play a part in bringing people to Jesus both here and even around the world? What's in your hand? Is it a hammer? Is it a, a screwdriver? Is it a mechanics wrench? Is it a computer or some other kind of technology? Is it a stethoscope? Is it a writer's pen? Is it a recipe book and the skills to use it? Is it Whatever school teachers carry around all day, that's the hardest job in the world, in my opinion, but anyway. Is it a good eye for decoration? Is it the ability to organize things? Is it a love for kids? A love for older adults? Even a love for animals? What is it? You see, our resources are not just limited by our jobs and careers, right? They might have to do with your hobbies, your talents, the, your pastimes, where you live, the position you're in. You could have a love for sports, a love for music, a love for motorcycles, a love for board games, for Bowman Gray racing. We have people that reach out over there. Do you have a large vehicle? Do you have a free afternoon? Do you have lots of extra space in your home? Can these things become God's things? God's computer God's hammer, God's recipe book, God's talents, God's hobbies, God's vehicles, God's space. Now, there are a thousand of these questions and opportunities, right? And you can come up with better ideas than I can. What I'm getting at here is, is really just a mindset. Even if you don't know how, even if you don't know how these things that you have and the things that you love and the things that you can do, if you don't know how they can be used by God to reach people for Christ, have you ever even considered that God may be asking you the question, what is that in your hand? Can you serve someone with it? Can you give it away or share it with someone? Can you invite someone along to enjoy it with you? Someone who doesn't know Jesus, for instance. Here's the big question, I think, right? Why did God give me this? Why did God give me this? Why did God give me this job? Why did God give me this ability? Why did God give me this time? Why did God give me this talent, this resource, this house? Was it just so I could enjoy it, or was it also so that I could use it somehow to help reach people for Jesus? As a church, I believe we need to ask ourselves this question. I ask it a lot. Why did God give us this building on these beautiful 17 acres of land in the middle of Davidson County? Why do we have this? What was the point? I can tell you something. My vision for this facility and for the land that it's on and for anything else we ever build on it is that it would be used. Used not just by us but by lots of people 
especially people who don't know Jesus, I want lost people in this building all the time. My vision is not for the Alliance Cathedral. It's for the Alliance Community Center. Now, I know some of you share that kind of vision. But let me back up a little bit and just give you a couple examples that are a little bit more individual. I spoke to, recently to a couple in our church who had a storage building on their property that had been sitting unused for a long time. Well, it turns out there's a ministry nearby um, run by someone from another church that makes secondhand or donated furniture available to people in need. Problem was, as their ministry grew, they didn't have enough space for all this furniture. God brought some people together providentially. This couple opened up their unused storage building, and now it's God's storage building being used to help people in Jesus' name who need furniture. If you need to donate some furniture, talk to me, and I'll get you in touch with that couple. You know, one of the first ministry opportunities the disciples ever had, it sounds real simple, and it was, but it was simply this, when Jesus asked Peter and John if he could borrow their boat, right? Because he didn't have a very good angle to speak to the people. They were crowding around him. He needed to get a better angle. So he says, can I borrow your boat? If I get on the boat and go off, offshore a few feet, I can actually talk to all these people at the same time. And so Peter and John said, sure, you can have our boat. They didn't think it was a big deal. They didn't realize they were being used at that point. But Jesus was just getting them used to it. They were using their stuff for the Lord. We have a couple guys in our church who own boats. Slightly faster boat, I think. And they take these boats to Power Time Camp for a week every year. And they become God's boats. And they play a part in bringing kids and youth to Jesus. Kids from all over the world, actually, as Power Time has become much more globally diverse in the last few years. Two Saturdays ago, a small church down in the south part of Lexington was set on fire, probably during the barbecue festival. That church has a ministry of gathering and distributing food to the hungry that is way out of proportion to the size of their fellowship. We don't know whether that building can or should be rebuilt or whether another solution needs to be found, but here's the question. Will the gospel-preaching churches of Davidson County find ways to come together to help this fellowship reclaim that space for God? It may take money. It may take hammers and nails. It may take other resources that we have. We don't know yet, but when we do, I will tell you how you can help. Pickett School, you heard about that this morning, the partnership we have with them, and they really appreciate this ministry, the weekend backpack ministry that we help so much with, provide food for, for these food insecure kids over the last year we've been doing it, and we're going to keep doing it. But it looks like there may be a possibility to extend our ministry and do some other things. For instance, providing tutors and lunch buddies that can spend time with individual kids that may need help. So the question is, do you have an hour a week maybe and can step outside of your comfort zone to make a new friend? And do you remember basic math or basic English? I'm jumping the gun a little bit on Courtney here, but you can talk to her, and she's exploring those possibilities at the school. And again, this, this is not about sharing with or serving other Christians, though, of course, that's a good thing to do. This is about the Great Commission, which means it's about reaching those without Christ, and especially, especially cross-culturally cross-culturally. You heard about Sophie the scrub woman earlier, how God woke her up to the diverse nature of the population of the building she was living in. Pete Brocka was challenging us last week to take faith-filled risks, and he talked a lot about ministry to refugees and immigrants. And I know you might think, Pete, and I think this too, I, I, I kind of pushed back on him a little bit. I said, Pete, we don't have a lot of refugees in Davidson County. 
We don't have a lot of new immigrants coming to Davidson County, and largely that's true, but you know what? We have a lot moving into Greensboro and High Point and Winston-Salem. Dawn and I yesterday morning had to travel all of six miles to the south part of Winston to go and help World Relief, just do some volunteer work with World Relief, helping them set up apartments for refugees that are coming here, and, and there were refugees coming from Venezuela, from Democratic Republic of the Congo, from Tanzania, from Syria, and from Somalia, and most of them were moving into the same apartment complex. Took us about an hour and a half, and you know what, if they, they wanted to do 20 of these, um, set up 20 of these house, of apartments, they got 12 of them done because there were only that many volunteers. Easy peasy. Not hard to do. If you're interested or if your small group is interested in getting involved in that ministry, talk to me. I can set you up with the right people and even help. And yes, although Davidson County as a whole is still about 80% white and English-speaking, I will tell you, and you already know this, that is not the case in Lexington City, which is right in our backyard. In fact, did you know that 33% of the students at Pickett Elementary School and 36% of the students at Lexington Middle School live in homes where Spanish is the primary language spoken? And in both schools, the Latino population is greater than either the white or the African-American population. It's the biggest group. Pastor West and I, last week, took a couple of Spanish-speaking church leaders out for lunch, and we, we asked them about the status of the evangelical church among Spanish speakers in Davidson County. Guess what? It's not good. While we don't have all the information, I think I can safely say to you that this is a very underserved community with a lot less access to the gospel than you might think. And you know what? We're the alliance, right? We're the Christian Missionary Alliance, so, so it's in our DNA to think about doing something about this kind of thing. Several of your staff members a couple weeks ago attended a workshop at the last district conference on teaching English as a second language, and we have another nearby Alliance church that has offered to share the cost of training if both they and we can come up with an ESL team. That's still in its primary phases of planning, and I'm talking to the national leadership about the ESL possibilities. In other news, we have already set aside time to run a soccer camp on our property here early next summer, and I'm hoping that most of the kids that participate and the parents who watch will be either Latino or Cambodian. I know a few of you who are soccer coaches, and even if you're not, can you help drive people? Can you help feed people? You know, sometimes when, when you step out and try something new, you will find that God has been building things into your life for years that you never knew you had. How could Moses have known that when he was watching those sheep in the desert, probably bored out of his life most of the time for 40 years, that God was actually developing in him the discipline and the compassion and above all, the patience that he would need to watch over God's chosen and quite unruly people for the next 40 years of his life. Maybe God's been developing some gift in you over the years. You just don't know what it is because you haven't really considered stepping out of your comfort zone and trying anything new for him lately. Now we need to wind things up here because it's getting late, and, and when I joked on Facebook about having an extra hour to preach today because of the time change, um, I could try that, but I think the children's workers would come and tar and feather me. I, I've kind of kept it partly in the interest of time and partly just to concentrate things. I've kept it kind of close to home for today, but a whole nother piece of this is connecting with our work overseas. 
You heard a couple weeks ago from um, Scott and Deanna Blackwell how Scott has this talent to work with wood, and he's taking it to West Africa to, to train people as, as part of the Great Commission. We've got that. We also, and if you don't want to go for your whole you know, life to the mission field, we've got folks at First Alliance, many folks who have used their skills and their spiritual gifts to, to bless and to assist our international workers in Africa and in Latin America and other places. And I can tell you this, our mission trips that we take at this church have sometimes revolutionized our local ministry here because the teams come back with all sorts of ideas about what we can do to reach our own mission field here in Lexington and Davidson County. But I'm going to leave some room for Pastor West because in three weeks he's going to come back from Uruguay and he's going to tell you how lost people matter to God and he wants them found and he's going to share some of that stuff too. For now, let me just leave you with one promise as we transition over to celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's a promise that God makes to Moses in Exodus 3.12 when he sends them off to Pharaoh. And it's a promise. Jesus himself gives us the exact same promise in Matthew 28.20 when he sends us off and says, go to the nations with the gospel. Here's the promise. It's very simple. I will be with you. I will be with you. Do you want to experience more of the manifest presence of God in your life? The presence of God follows the mission of God. When you go and obey, he always promises you, that's where I'll be. That's where I'll be. The presence of God follows the mission of God, a mission that started by, by Jesus when he accomplished our salvation on the cross, a mission that continues as each one of us is called to play our part in reaching the world for Christ. And lo, he said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. The God of all time the God of all power, the God of all money, the God of all energy, the God of all gifting and ability has called us to a task. And he says that if we obey him, he'll go with us.